On today's episode of the Cosmos Podcast, we are continuing our special series on sponsorship with a discussion on objection handling. Regardless of how experienced or talented your sponsorship team is, they will undoubtedly face objections in the selling process. So with this episode, we discuss some tactics for identifying the true objection and how to respectfully counter the objection. If you have any questions about anything discussed on the podcast, you can always reach us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or by email at info at cosmosports.com. If you're like me and you enjoy listening to podcasts on your commute, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to episode six of our corporate sponsorship webinar series hosted by Cosmo Sports and Entertainment. Uh, my name is Evan Colborn. I'm the Director of Business Development with Cosmo Sports. And here with me again is Cosmos President Carrie Kaplan. Uh, thanks very much for, for joining us again. Um, so the series is uh, brought to you by Central Counties Tourism and Sport Durham. So very special thanks to both those groups for uh, putting on this webinar series. Uh, for those that this is their first webinar, welcome. Uh, for those that are returning, uh, this will be a continuation, just like the rest of the, the series so far, a continuation of our last uh, episode, uh, the whole course designed to be very sequential and, and uh, building upon uh, each episode to um, to really talk about the entire sponsorship sales process. So um, so before we get started, just a couple housekeeping items as usual. Uh, if you have any trouble seeing the slides behind us, don't worry, we're going to provide all the slides to everyone who has registered for the webinar. Uh, so don't worry about uh, you know, getting every word down that's on the slide, everything will be provided to you. If you have any questions, in particular for today's topic, so today's topic is objection handling. And so if you have any any questions, any objections that you have, you've been facing in your own sponsorship sales process or uh, any objections you've really found tough over the years to uh, to overcome, please feel free to submit those through either the live chat. So if you're looking at the YouTube page and you're not in the full screen mode, you look at the top right corner, of the um, of the page, you'll find the uh, live chat. Uh, Michael, who's off camera here, will be monitoring the live chat throughout the uh, throughout the um, uh, the broadcast. So uh, we'll try to address any of those objections at the end. And uh, if if for whatever reason you have any questions and you can't uh, get them in during the live chat uh, or during our broadcast today, please feel free to submit any questions by email. Uh, you can find all of our emails on uh, cosmosports.com. If you go to the team page, you'll find all of our emails, including Carrie's and, and mine. So uh, please feel free to submit any questions and we'd, we'd be happy to uh, uh, to address those afterwards. Um, one, So just with the, the technology and, and live streaming, there is a bit of a, a delay. So if, um, if you do submit questions at the end, there's a chance that we may not get to them. Uh, we just may not see it on our end before we actually wrap up live here. So submit questions as you, as you think of them uh, throughout the broadcast. Uh, don't worry. Um, uh, about waiting until the end at the Q&A portion to, to submit those. So, right. so as I mentioned, uh, today's episode is common sponsorship objections and how to handle them. So this is a you know, really important topic, one that uh, almost certainly anybody that's involved in, in sponsorship sales is going to face. So we really wanted to, um, uh, to make sure that we address this topic. Uh, pretty, uh, I have to venture, I guess, pretty rare circumstance that anybody would ever get through an entire sales process and not come to some objections. So it's uh, so a really important topic that um, that we want to address. Uh, it's also a topic where, you know, it can feel a little bit overwhelming to, to some people because, you know, if, if you start to think about it, you know, there can probably list any any number of objections as to why someone wouldn't want to sponsor your particular yeah. event. So it can be a little bit of, bit of overwhelming for people too, right? Yeah. Um, it's also... It, it can be tough for people because this this is kind of maybe that first time where you actually have to actually have to push through a little bit and yeah. and you know you know I know we find with you know particularly people just starting out pushing through that first no can be a little bit uh, a little bit tricky. Yeah, I think it's you know I think if you're in the business of uh, procurement or sales or sponsorship, you have to realize that it's a numbers game. There's going to be a lot of object, you know, there's going to be a lot of objection. It's, you know, the a baseball players in the hall of fame, if they get out 60% of the time and that, I think there's, you know, some similarities there. I think if you get upset when an individual or a company says no, and sometimes people are going to be not always friendly or rushed or, so I think a big skill in objection handling at first is 
accepting it as a fact and also not being afraid, as you said, to sometimes fight through. Sometimes the initial objection is not a real objection. So right. there's something about fighting through that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So for today's agenda, uh, a couple things we're gonna we're gonna address. One is recognizing the common objections and how to how to categorize them a little bit so that you're not dealing with every objection under the sun. That you're dealing with uh, fewer objections and, and recognizing when there's a when there's a common trend there. Um, second is, is you know how to actually overcome that objection, how to counter it in a way that's uh, productive and and not um, argumentative or anything like that. Uh, and lastly, we're going to go through a really specific technique called the feel felt found technique, a very tactical way to actually, um, you know, address a, a, an objection when you're meeting with a, with a prospect. So, so really, you know, we're talking about objection handling. Uh, I always think it's, it's helpful to, to share a definition just so we're all talking, making sure we're all talking on the same page. So objections really are just concerns or issues or challenges or something that the prospect brings up at some point throughout throughout the sales process. That's that's really all we mean by objection. And objection handling is just how you as the seller are helping to alleviate that concern or how you're um, you're offering a counter to to their concern or something. Like that. So that that's just to, to square that away right off the, the top. That's kind of the definitions of what we're talking about today. Uh, objection occurrence, it's also important to note that, you know, they're not all objections are not all going to come at once. Uh, they're going to come at various points throughout the sales process. They come at the beginning, they come at the end. Um, as we're going to discuss throughout here, some objections are more common to certain kind of phases of the of the process. Um, but you have to be kind of ready at any point to, to handle some form of objection. So um, can't really wait until all the objection, you know, they're not going to save all their objections to the end. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you have to be ready for that. Um, can happen as early as when you're trying to set that initial meeting. Can happen well after a proposal has been presented. Um, and uh, you want to be ready with, um, so the whole point of today's conversation is you want to be ready so that when those objections arise, you have an, an answer uh, and one that, you know, continues to instill some confidence and then build some trust with the, uh, with the other person. So, yeah. um, so one thing we did want to just kind of highlight, just kind of off the top, and this is a, a quote from Dale Carnegie. He's the author of the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, and he talks about how you, you can't win an argument. Yeah. Um, so we did want to make that distinction that objection handling is not arguing. It's yeah, the first sort of plug in uh, is to me, and I've been, you know, uh, read a lot of business books in my life. I probably, I don't know, it's well over 100. The, the best one I ever read, and it was one of the first ones, is by Dale Carnegie. And it's, it doesn't sound like a business book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. But if you're going to take one book and read it, it's a great, it's really life lessons. And so it's great. And, and Absolutely, as you're saying, Evan, if you, I think a problem with objection handling. So, for instance, if you represent a hockey team and somebody says, well, I don't like hockey. Arguing with them by saying hockey's great, you don't have a chance. In other words, if you're arguing with a person giving an objection, you're in it. Or somebody says, my budget's spent for the year. And you say, well, what do you mean your budget? You know, is it really spent for the whole year? You're creating an argument. Uh, I think what you have to do is really, there's a bit of accepting and then moving on. So, you know, and we'll have some specific examples here, but the concept is um, uh, we're not interested and going with that, you know, oh, I understand you're not, okay, I appreciate you telling me that you're not interested. Do you mind if I ask why? That's not arguing. That's saying you're not interested. I mean, you're not interested. Okay. I accept you're not interested. I accept you don't like hockey. I accept you don't have money. I accept you're too busy to take this call. So I think the starting point is don't fight the objection. Go with the objection, listen, and then see if you can maybe offer a solution. Right. Um, and it's also, you know, just to, um, you know, alleviate any kind of concerns because, you know, sometimes, you know, objection handling can kind of be thought of as, you know, the real kind of salesy kind of stuff where you're, um, you know, kind of tricking somebody into into thinking, but it, it's really when you're handling these objections, you're trying to come, you know, come at it from a place of their best interest. So, if 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 they have an objection and you truly believe that you know you have a way to help overcome that objection, that's kind of objection handling. It's not tricking anybody. No, I think I think if there's one thing that comes out of all this seminar is if you're thinking that you're a salesperson or you have to make a deal or get something done, you're going to be unsuccessful. If you're thinking about 
communicating with somebody, really listening, trying to solve their problems or meet their needs, that's how you're going to find solutions. Okay. Great. So, so some good news. So while we kind of said that it, you know, it can be really overwhelming, there's lots of objections, lots of reasons out there why somebody may choose not to sponsor your event. Um, the good news is that, you know, you found that you can really categorize it down to pretty well, three simple objections. Yeah. And uh, you've really found, you know, the price time and product. Is yeah. It's, it's one thing I sort of, I mean, I kind of, I almost came upon it a little bit early in my career, I think, because it's, as you say, daunting, right? There's a million different objections. We don't, you know, we don't have money or we don't like your event or we, I don't, and, and really out of almost necessity, because I think when I was starting, it's a bit of panic, like you're overwhelmed. There's 90 objections. Um, it was saying, as you said, really, there's three categories. So if you think of all of people's objections for anything, for, you know, you have a great event and you love it. Why is somebody not interested? Either it's either money, time, or product. So, and, and that helped me, and I think for those people listening, help just simplify it. So what I mean in that, somebody could say, I don't have a budget, I can't afford it, it's too expensive. Those are all money questions. Um, the time questions are, you caught me at a bad time. Uh, we don't make decisions now. Um, we're changing personnel. I have a new, there's a new president. All that relates sort of to timing. Product is, you know, we don't sponsor festivals. We don't uh, believe in baseball and you have a baseball team. We don't. So really, now that, you know, they're wide and they cover a lot. But really, if you can end people, every, everything falls in there. Virtually everything falls in there. So now sometimes it's all three. It's because I don't like your event. I don't have money and I'm busy. But I think if you can narrow down which of these objections it is, ideally it's one. And then you can start to target it. So I, I just think this, for me, that's always been helpful just to take some of the, the fear out of it yeah. and say, look, there's three reasons why people are not going to work with me. Yeah. They, you know, so it was cut. It, it's always been helpful to me. Yeah. And like you said, you know, it could, uh, an objection could really fall. It could overlap as well. Right. So, you know, an objection about our, our budget is spent for the year. Yeah. You know, it could kind of be a time objection because, you know, it's the time of year that you're reaching right. out. It could also be a price objection. So you, know, you mentioned at the beginning, you know, kind of pushing through that person. No. And, and the way, you, you know, you've described it to me is uh, the true objection, trying to really right. understand what is the true objection. So someone right. says our budget spent for the year. Is it I just happened to reach you at the wrong time or is it it's too expensive or. Different? See, that's a good. And I know we're going to talk about budget. It's one of the main objections we hear, but that's a really good example. So if someone says, I, we don't have a budget, it feels like a price objection, dollars, right? Not money. But if then you ask a second question, you know, when do you reset your budget? They say, oh, January 1st. Well, it's not a price. It's a time issue. It's not price at all. Their budget might be five times what you're, you might have a package for $5,000. They might have a million dollar budget. So if you get, if you don't really listen and find out, you're going to think it's a money question. But really, it wasn't a money question at all. It was a timing question. So I'm saying some of those questions, if it can help put you in one of these bubbles or one of these bubbles is more uh, prominent than another, that's important. Product, you know, there's a lot of companies that will say, hey, you're not in my, we have four things that, you know, everything has to fit in one of these four pillars and your event doesn't fit in that. Now, if you know that, then maybe there are elements of your event that does fit into community giving or, charitable contribution or uh cause marketing or so uh anyways i, I think again i was spending a fair bit of time on it here but I, I think that uh to me more than anything it diffuses the insanity of but there's a hundred objections and i think this says well there isn't there really isn't you can you can qualify for sure sure and it's um you know similarly it you know it could be um, you know, that objection example of our budget is spent for the year, um, you know, it might be a polite way of, of saying, I'm not interested in the, it, it sure. might be a product objection as well. That's so right. Um, you really do need to probe a little bit more right. to right. try to find the true objections. Right. Uh, so to dig in a little bit more on price, because price is for sure one that's um, probably one of the more common objections that, that people face yep. uh, would be price, even in those circumstances where in your earlier stages, you got a really good budget, they gave you a number, yeah. 
Um, you put together a proposal, comes in under budget, delivers what they're looking for. Price is still probably going to be objection you might face because just the nego price negotiation seems to be kind of baked into the, the sponsorship sales process. So you have to be ready for this objection uh, for sure. Yeah, and it's baked into life a lot. I mean, I think this is the challenge of negotiation, you know, and I think there's a bit of some gamesmanship in there. You know, if, you know, people, you think of when you're at a flea market and, you know, somebody says it's $10 and you say, I'll give you three. Well, you might have fully intended a spending 10. You might have walked in and said, okay, well, I have $10 in my pocket. I'll, I think that's a really nice uh, scarf. I'm willing to spend $10 for it. But there's almost that inherent um to not say yes right away so i think that whole price that can be in a bigger scale too so again it's to your point what's the real objection what's the real number yeah. Yeah. um so some <laughs> examples like we, we've already touched on um you know that are on the board here our budget set for the year uh so we don't have any room in our budget uh it's too expensive um or you know probably a little bit uh rarer of an objection but they may say you know i've We've done similar sponsorships and it was less expensive for the same type of thing. So um, all type of uh, price objections. But I guess, you know, what are some of the ways you can you can try to overcome some of these? Price yeah, objections? I think, uh, excuse me. <coughs> I think the. Um, I think a big part of that is to understand what their budget is or how much money they have. So questions like what's your maximum budget or. What's a ballpark? What are you looking at spending? I think a big thing on this is to understand what your, you know, where, where's the range? You know, what, so those questions are good. So I think not being afraid to ask those questions is important. I think if you can understand where they're coming from, what their budget is, you know, the, as you say, they spent something similar before. Okay, what did you spend before? And did you find it effective? And it doesn't have to be just sponsorship. Somebody said, hey, we bought... We buy ads on Facebook and we spend $10,000 a year. Okay. Well, now you have a parameter. So I think that helps. Yeah. Okay. Um, <coughs> one of the things that, um, so before we move on to, to kind of the next step, this, you know, the objection is likely, most likely to occur kind of at that proposal stage. This is when yep. you finally got into the kind of the dollars and cents and yep. everything. Most price objections are going to happen then. Um, <laughs> with, with price objections in, in particular, one thing we did want to kind of touch on is that pricing integrity concept. And the fact that, you know, when, when someone does bring up, you know, it, it's too expensive or, you know, we, we don't have the budget this year. Um, the, the easiest thing to do would be to kind of give in a little bit, you know, like your flea market, market example. If I want to sell the, um, you know, the thing for $10 and someone offers me three, the easiest thing would be to say, fine, I'll give it to you for three. Um, why, why do we really encourage people not to do yeah, that? Yeah, it's a good, really good point. Evan. I think a lot of people, and, and this is a good one to listen to. I think a lot of you guys listening may think, may give in on this. So you say, uh, uh, we have a booth at our event and the booth is $1,000. And Tim Hortons comes to you and says, we'd like to have a booth. We'd like all the things that go with the booth. We'll give you $100. There's a natural temptation. You don't have any money now and say, okay, we'll do it for $100. The problem is you're compromising your integrity. That, that doesn't excite. I mean, Tim Hortons may get a deal then, but, I'll, but the, what, if I'm Tim Hortons, I'm thinking, well, why did you try and sell to me for 1000 So it's dishonest. It's dishonest. It's not what it's worth. It's like you were trying to rip them off. So when that happens, and you say to Tim Hortons, the booth is a thousand, and they say we'll give you a hundred. Um, even though you want Tim Hortons as a sponsor, I think what you want to do is say, well, I can't give you the booth for a thousand, but for a hundred I could do this, or for three hundred I could do this, or for five hundred I could do this, and it's some variation. Maybe it's a slightly smaller booth. Maybe it's a booth there for Friday and not Saturday. But I think it's really important, and again, I think people have to be careful because they're. There's a huge tendency in the industry to, to not do that, to not hold your integrity, to say something's a thousand, but be willing to take a hundred. Um, and it, again, it compromises what you're doing. And it's not fair to the two, three, four sponsors that you're going to have. So a level of pricing integrity is very important. Right. Um, and, and similarly, you know, if, you know, last minute type of things, you know, the, there can be this tendency to, you know, last minute reduce prices because, 
you know, you just want to want to get them in for the event and you've only got a week until the day. So, uh, but same thing is, you know, you've got to, you want to hold firm on, on the pricing integrity. Well, part of it is your disadvantage. What about the person that paid a month ago? So when you do that deal to Tim Hortons and they get to come in and have a booth for a hundred dollars, that was a thousand. What about Canadian Tire who paid a th pays a thousand every year? Who's your best sponsor in the world? And every year they pay a thousand dollars and they take a booth. Um, what if the person from Canadian Tire was standing there and they found out what you just did? Um, if anything, the last minute person should be paying more. That's the airline model. You know, think about how an airline does it. If you're flying an Air Canada and um, the flight was $500 and you want to go tomorrow, even though the plane's empty, the flight's $1,000. And they're doing that correctly. You may look at it and say, oh, they're gouging me. They're... They could keep it the same. They, but if they reduced it from 500 to 400, they'd be doing it wrong because then people would wait to the end. It wouldn't be fair. Why should someone who booked their trip home for Christmas in March not get the best price? So if you want to criticize our Canada, mm -hmm. criticizing them for raising it, but they shouldn't reduce it. Yeah. Um. Uh, and like you said, so, you know, to maintain that integrity, you can adjust the package, you can remove right. items. Um, and we also know from uh, from our, our webinar on uh, on valuations and in pricing things that it is a bit of an art. It's not an exact science. So you do, you know, I guess there's maybe a little bit of wiggle room on, on price. It's, yeah. it's not a, a fixed firm yeah. number and, and yeah. take it or leave it kind of thing. But yeah. um, better is if you can you know, remove items and keep the value relative to the better price. is. And I, you're right. I mean, if somebody says a thousand dollars and you said to Tim Hortons, <clears throat> you know, maybe we give it to you for $900 or something. In other words, I think there's some subtlety, as you say, it's not a perfect science and there should be some small room potentially for discounting or making a decision early, but you have to be really careful. You have to be honorable to, to the other people that have bought it. For sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so the next category is time. Um, so some examples of this, you know, could happen as early as when you're reaching out to set up an initial meeting. Could be I don't have time to meet. Could be a very common one that we find is you know the event is too soon. Yeah. Um, you know we don't have enough lead time. We don't have enough runway to actually make to maximize this. So right. um, we'll wait until next year. Uh, could be there's too much of a time commitment. So right. uh, could be questions around resources as well. So um, so like I said, you know these objections, time objections can come up as early as when you when you're reaching out really can occur kind of throughout, but um, so what are some ways on the time objections? How can, how can you help overcome? Those? Well, first of all, you also have to acknowledge that sometimes people use any of these objections just to get you to go away. And, you know, just like you do, if someone calls you and they want to sell you insurance and you're not interested in buying insurance, you might say, send me an email, uh, call me back in six months, I'm busy or it's too expensive. Like, so part of it is people have a tendency not to like saying no. So when someone says, you, you've got to be careful that you're not always either too early or too late. <clears throat> and if you're always too early or too late, it means it's not necessarily a real objection. Right. So if the event's coming up in, if someone says to you it's too late, our events in a month or two months say, okay, I understand. And again, this is agreeing saying, when's the typical time that you make these decisions now, they may still be able to do something on, or, you know, our budget, but if they say we need a six month runway, say great. So, you know, our event is next July. Can I call you? Can we set up a meeting January 10th? So I want to get ahead. I want to be ahead of the game for next year's event. So saying make sure that you delve in a little bit deeper to really understand what the time objection is. And then again, years go by quickly. That's also a great thing about budgets. Budgets tend to be annual. You know, very few people say, I've set my budget for the next 10 years. Yeah. So usually there's a window and one year comes by quickly. You know, if you're a municipality, it's not far away to 2019 or 2020 or 2021. So be at the front of the line for the following year. Don't be in a short-term panic necessarily. So yeah. it's really trying to understand um, how true that objection is. Yeah. Um, I, know, I know we've also talked about, you know, ways you can, um, you know, if it if it is a you know our budgets you know yeah. for the year you know can we you know can we get you in this year but you know kind of earmark the first kind of part of your budget next year for, for this or right that's that's a great year. thing too right I think you should be open to somebody coming to this year's event but putting it in next year's budget companies just as you said or 
there's ways to, to even break that question down. Oh, your budget spent. Do you mind if I ask? And do you mind if I ask? It's a really good word because it allows you some ease to the next question. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask how your budgets work? Is it the sponsorship have its own element? Is it a total marketing budget? Is it determined by region? I think the more information you can get on um, budget, both, and, and I, I know I'm mixing time and money here, but the time of the budget and the money and how it works and how they make spending decisions and how many people have to make those decisions, just questions are really good. That intel is really important. So the third category is product. Um, so some examples of that, you know, we're not interested in X or a lot of companies. So don't align. This doesn't align with our pillars. So uh, many companies will have, you know, they'll even put it on their website. They'll say, these are our sponsorship pillars. So, right. you know, Scotiabank may say we're in hockey, the arts and running events. And, right. um, you know, if your event doesn't fit within one of those pillars, that might be an objection you face as well. So. Right. But here's a good objection. Let's say you're in your hockey and if you go on uh, i don't know burger king's website and it says we want to invest in literacy and um, uh, reducing obesity or you know nutritional information or, um, and you say well we you know if you come to them as a hockey team well that totally doesn't fit in their pillars if you say we're doing a food drive and you say we're doing a food drive and we know one of your pillars is to fight childhood obesity and we do a food drive to fight childhood obesity, and we'd like to call it, would you be interested in being the Burger King food drive? That does fit their pillar. To expect them to think about that is totally unrealistic. You're a hockey team. But by doing some research and looking at who, looking at who their company is, that's going to make it a lot easier for you to fit into the pillars. And you, you, know, you have to pull that, take that information back, and then decide who you are. And again, if you're coming at them from, hey, we're the city of Ajax, hey, we're the Oshawa Generals, the company doesn't care. They're, they're Burger King or their investors group or their uh, whatever that company is. And again, you have to think about what they're thinking about rather than <clears throat> who you are. Right. Yeah. So you can be a little bit more malleable and kind of and kind of bend a little bit to, to what their objectives are. And um, still remain honest and then still create something that's really win-win. Right. But do your research. Yeah. You know, I think the mistake oftentimes, I say we talk about a lot about listening. Listening is important, but also do your research. Go on companies' websites. Go on, uh, you know, do a search under investors group sponsorship in Canada and find some of the things they've done. And then those are things you can talk about. Hey, we noticed you sponsored a curling event. How'd you like it? How'd that work? Oh, we're was great or we're not doing that anymore the fact that you've looked that up again you want to get to that place where it's less about your product and more about what their needs are and how your product fits into what their needs are sure. um so product objections could also relate to the target audience yeah. um so it could be something along the lines of you know we don't we don't think there's enough of a, a an audience fit here yeah. um that could be a tough one to overcome any any kind of thoughts on how you could overcome something like that uh, I, again, I think the knowledge of understanding your own, like, again, as we said at the beginning, sometimes you're just not going to, you're not going to fit it exactly. And there's going to be times where you walk away and say, um, I appreciate that. And maybe it's not the right demographic, but the more you understand about what they're looking for, they say, oh, we don't know if it's family driven. And then if you can say, well, we actually have more families come to this event that are, it's the second largest family event in Pickering. Um, well, maybe that meets with their objection or decision makers. So it's, it won't be perfect, but again, I think it goes back to if you can uh, know some information going in and know what your event is and know what they want, I think it's going to, it pacifies a lot. Sure. Um, and then, you know, assets as well, another uh, product objection, you know, when, yep. when you get down into kind of the, the real granular elements of the proposal yep. and you're including, you know, X sign here and PA announcements, you know, you may find find some product objections on, um, you know, we don't like the we don't like the PA announcements. We don't we don't want those. Right, and that's a good example. We 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 just we were just dealing with a company. Won't mention the name of the company, but the company was really big on, or the event was really big on selling naming rights. So you'd call it the blank event. And what they never bothered to ask the company was, were they interested in naming rights? Well, it turns out the company has no interest in naming rights. So. 
by not offering something that the company wants. So for instance, when you do these gold, silver, bronze, ABC uh, packages, and you're saying, hey, you get a sign and you get this, a lot of groups will come out and say, you get this, this, and this. You get to be on our website. Well, did you ask the company? Maybe they just want couponing. Maybe they just want to be part of your social media. Maybe they just want a visual. Maybe they want signage. Maybe all they want is product placement. So if you're if you're coming at them with a preset menu, you run the risk. It's like, you know, I always liken it to a restaurant. If somebody says, goes on and talks to you, um, we have the best chicken in the world and it's great. And do you know about our chicken? And, and they never asked you if you're a vegetarian. They wasted their time. It doesn't matter how good their chicken is. So if they say, do you like chicken? And you say, actually, I'm a vegetarian. Their whole approach is going to be different. Say, so, oh, we have a great vegetarian plate totally different approach but again if you don't do your research and you don't listen you open yourself up to go in the wrong places so talking about those assets that if you're presenting things that they have a history with or don't have an interest in then you're shooting yourself in the foot by it but if you know more information you can tailor the menu to the individual um of the the three categories would you say would do you find that there's one type of objection that is hardest to overcome um, like I, I might think that product would be if they, if they really, you know, those audience questions or, you know, we're, we, we don't want to sponsor a hockey team or something like that. Like that might be the, the harder ones to overcome, but do you find a harder one? Uh, I don't know if there's one that I would say is harder than other. I think the hardest, I think it's more about the people. So I think what the, I think if you're talking a lot of sponsorship decisions, and I think this can be a mistake that oftentimes you think, well, RBC doesn't want to sponsor hockey. Oftentimes it might be that John Smith at RBC thinks hockey's sports is a waste of money. I think the biggest objection is often the people. And if you, and you can break that down by getting to know the people a little bit better, the more time you spend with individuals, you often to me can break those objections down to smaller and smaller pieces. So I, I, I know it's not a straight answer, but I don't think one jumps out and say, Hey, I, for me, I, I think the good news is I, I don't I don't very often run across something and I think, well, I couldn't with more time, we couldn't kind of come to a solution. You don't always get the time. You could get somebody on the phone and say, just we're not doing any sponsorship and yeah. you don't get the meeting and you don't get the time. But I often find if you're in the room with somebody for a half an hour um, and you really can understand it, a lot of these objections can go away. Um. So one technique, uh, so once you, you, know, you you're, you've kind of identified, at least you, just in your mind, you've identified what you think the true objection is. Uh, so one technique that, uh, that we kind of like is called the feel felt found technique. Yeah. It's an actual tactical way to, uh, to address a uh, concern or an objection on their end uh, and do it from a non-argumentative uh, way. So, so the way the technique works is first step is, is feel. Um, and really what that's all about is about showing empathy. Uh, it's about showing um, that you're actually listening to, to their objection and that you hear them. So um, I completely understand how you feel. So that would be the first step. Second is felt. Um, and that, uh, that stage offers some validation to their, to their concern. So um, a couple of my clients have, have felt you know, similarly or felt the same way. So you're offering them validation. They aren't the only one in the world who's ever felt that objection. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're not you know, suggesting some that's a you know, that's a stupid objection that you're saying, you know, lots of people have felt that way and I hear you. Um, and the last one is, this is where you're inserting your, your, um, your rebuttal is, uh, however, um, you know, those same clients found that and insert yeah. your, your answer yeah. there. So a really great way to, to address objections, um, you know, really uh, coming at it from a, from a perspective of, you know, empathy and validation and then, yeah. You're not arguing and you're offering offering your solution. Yeah, I think I think you have to be I, I, first of all, it's a great model. I think a great concept. Um, I think you have to be careful. It's not too contrived. So I personally don't like using the three words verbatim because I've had people use that on me. Yeah. And then I'm like, OK, feel felt found. I, I you know, hear what you're saying. So to me, a version of that is the first part's really important, which is Okay, however you say it, everybody should use their own. Part of this too is using your own. So I might say, I hear you, or okay, that's a really good point. Like, so I think that acknowledgement, as you say, so you're not arguing, 
And the second part is, is good too, which is that you're not alone. In other words, someone says, ah, we don't like hockey. Say, okay, I hear what you're saying. Lots of people have said that. Lots of people feel that way. Lots of people, you know, we've heard that a lot. There's lots of our current sponsors that really don't like hockey at all. There's lots of our fans that are not hockey fans. So that middle ground. And then, and, and this really is how you get around it. So what those people found is, um, it's a great place to spend quality time with your kids. So here it's a great, it's a great, you know, some of your customers, we found that some of your customers would really love coming out to a game, that the customer experience has been great. So I would say it's a very good guideline because it brings you from, I hear what you're saying, you're not alone. And here's, here's a solution that uh, people have had. I, I think the only caution I would say is be careful on using the words verbatim because it's an old theory that a lot of people have read the book and know this. So I think just put it in your own, put it in your own words. Right. For sure. And it goes along with that. I know you touched on this earlier, but uh, you know, those things like, um, uh, do you mind if I ask why? Right. And things like that, just ways to, to really ease it. So you're not coming at it from a, from an argumentative standpoint and uh, you know, they're feeling less defensive about their objection and more open to, yeah, we, we talk about, I call them cushion expressions. And I think like to cushion the blow, like I think things like, I hope I'm not being too intrusive or do you mind if I ask, or, you know, I, my apologies if this is too personal, but, or, you know, no problem if you're not able to tell me, but it would really help if I could get a sense of your budget. The no problem if you can't tell me, the reality is they might say, I can't tell you, but it's more chance that, a, they tell you, and B, what I think is the most important is it gets you to spit it out. Very few people are comfortable saying, what's your budget or what's your maximum budget? But if you say, um, it would really help us to give to not waste your time, to give you a proposal that's fitting, if I could get a sense of what your maximum budget would be. There was 25 words in the beginning, but they allowed us to actually have the proper conversation. So yeah, I think those cushioning statements are important because a lot of people will hear this theory and won't do it. So I didn't feel comfortable saying, um, you know, how do you, I understand what you're saying. Like you have to be able to dig deeper. You can't, if you take an objection and walk away, you're leaving lots of uh, customers, clients that would be interested, but you didn't really ask the right questions. Right. Um, so before just leading up to today's webinar, uh, I had a chance to, to uh, ask several of our colleagues uh, for some objections that they face in their day-to-day uh, -day process. So I figured we could uh, spend a little bit of time, go through a couple of these ones. Uh, some of them are, are quite common, so yep. um, probably ones that people that are, are on the uh, watching on the webinar have faced as well. So, um, so the first one, you know, we've had a really bad, ex we had a bad experience um, in the past. So it could be, you know, We've done sponsorship before, had a really bad experience, probably not going to do it again or something along those lines. Right. So that's a good one because I think what you can say is, okay, that's too bad. I'd like to really hear about your experience. You know, if you don't mind, you have a couple minutes, I'd like to really understand what happened. And by doing that, you can try and differentiate yourself or understand what happened or say, you know, that that's terrible. Or that's not something we could do. Or again, Yes, it's wide open. They could say all kinds of things and, and experience will make you ready on how to handle when they say, here's what happened, A, B, C, and D. But people want to tell that story. If they, if they use that as the objection, sponsorships never worked for us. It's been terrible. Sorry to hear. Can you tell me, do you mind telling me what, what did you sponsor and why didn't it work? And what will happen is oftentimes what they're doing may be really different than what you're doing. Yeah. Or there may be some similarities, and then you you work backwards. So I think on that one, I think, and you'll see a lot of my answers will have some similarities. But on that one, it's saying, okay, tell me about it. Yeah. Like what happened? That's bad. You've got to get them past hating sponsorship, for lack of a better word, in order to even talk about your stuff. Yeah, right? for sure. So, okay. Um, so one we kind of touched on our budget is for the year. Yeah. Um, not sure if the reach is large enough. So you know, there might be you know events 
on um, that are watching this webinar that you know could be could be relatively small events, and then there's going to be some that are huge and draw a mass audience. So yeah, so if you're one of the smaller ones, kind of what right. So so one thing I would say in general, I don't think it's a term that you have up here, but one thing I like a lot is if you can't fix it, feature it. So let's say you have an event. So some people will be listening and say, oh well, they're talking about big events, Nashua Generals, and we have an event that has 400 people. Say, well, well, what's the good of that? Well. The good in that is there's there's generally in smaller events, there's a higher level of loyalty. There's less sponsors. Uh, there's a chance for a sponsor to really resonate with the group because, uh, you know, there's one company that I was just, uh, you, uh, Evan, we were at an event together that was sponsored RBC. In my mind, we did a Spoke of McMaster uh, in front of what was 100 people. Couldn't have been, at most it was 100 people, maybe 75 people. They had one sponsor. RBC. RBC provided some bags. They talked about their uh, their camp, their uh, branch on campus. Well, that's pretty powerful for RBC. Now you could say, well, why would RBC, who's I think they're still the biggest, most successful bank in Canada, why would they waste their time spending money with seventy-five McMaster students? Well, because TD and CIBC, let alone Tim Hortons and Canadian Tire, aren't in the room. And those people at the McMaster Sports Management Academy might feel a really strong affinity for RBC and might actually switch banks because they say, you know what, I don't really have, I'm not loyal to a credit union or a bank, but RBC sponsors my association, I'm going to switch banks. So just in general, you can't fix it. You can't take that event that's 400 people and make it 5,000. So talk about um, those things as a positive. The loyalty and that there's less sponsors and that you can reach the individuals one-on-one -on -one and stuff. For sure. Sure. Um, the decision comes from above me. Um, I'm not the ultimate decision maker. I have to run this by my VP or boss or the owner of the company or something. I think that's a good one. I think what you can say is what I like to say, and that is no problem. Do you mind if, um, you know, you and I, so you're talking to the person, let's say it's a marketing manager and the vice president of marketing makes a decision say the marketing manager um if you don't it would be great if um you and i or i can present uh with you there to that person for a few minutes you know see now you don't you don't always get the opportunity to do that they may say no i can handle it and i could do that but i think one of the things you want to ask for is you do want um that's an important one and it's you want the decision maker whenever possible to be in the room so i think you want to go out of your way to the person you're meeting with is not going to present your product as well as you are. Right. So I think on that one, if you can encourage them, that uh, would be great if, you know, have an opportunity to be in front of have a few minutes to speak to you and your boss. By the way, don't say your boss without you. So that takes them out of the picture and that's not healthy. So I think you say, you know, would you mind if uh, uh, you and you and I talk to your manager together you know and even use things like it might save you some time it might be simpler if i'm in the room to kind of help it along for sure um so a similar one is uh might be a pretty common one is we have an agency that handles our sponsorship um yep. so how, how would you kind of handle yeah that? so two parts so i think th this is one of those agreements so you'd say happy to talk to the agency and you know could you give me the contact information that's part a but also b saying you know prior to me meeting with the agency it would be really great to understand what are your objectives? Because I don't, you know, obviously they're your agency and, you know, you work with them and again, happy to go see them, but you know, what's important just so I know when I talk to your agency, what's important for you. So I think the second part's really important. If you can go to the agency and you've already talked to the client, that helps. Um, or you can also, you know, if they're that blunt, we have an agency that handles this. It's tricky, but if, sometimes they're more subtle. They may say we generally work so if they say something like that, you'd say, well, are there certain decisions that Toyota makes? Remember, a company can drive the agency. So if you're meeting with Toyota and they like what you're doing, they may have an agency, but they will call up the agency and say, I want to work with Evan. Well, then the agency's, the agency's paid to respond to what the client wants. So a lot of, you know, don't. Don't be excited to go to the agency. It's a it's generally a much harder, much harder once you're at the agency level than when you're with the client directly. Yeah, for sure. Um, so there's too much going on right now. 
really yeah. that time one. Yeah, that's a timing. I think that is just saying no problem. When when did things settle down and you might have a few minutes to get together? So I think that's just saying, but don't say, okay, I'll call it, you know, try and pin something down. Try and find out when they're not going to be as hectic. Um, this one, the wording probably, I'm not sure you're going to hear this exact wording, but you know, we sponsor your competitor. Um, how, how would you kind of overcome that? Well, it depends. I mean, I think if I'm an event, if I'm a, if somebody says to me, so we, you know, I think you mentioned we run the Brampton Beast hockey team. So somebody might say, oh, we sponsor the Mississauga Steelheads, which are the closest team. It's probably the most, if you had to identify one competitor. So Buffalo Wild Wings, for instance, a big sponsor of the Steelheads. And they would say, hey, we sponsor your competitor. So mine would be great. It's great. Well, what do you mean it's great? I said, yeah, well, you know, the, the you guys could have an opportunity to reach both teams in the Peel region. It's great that you sponsor the Leafs or the Oshawa Generals or this other festival. By sponsoring them and us, you can really, you can double your energy and um, reach all of them. So to me, that's an that's an easy one and I, I think what what i hope you'd get and and evan's been with me when we've done this is you guys could send any objection you want you could send 100 objections i'm gonna we're gonna have answers for all of them and the point is that's don't be intimidated now some are better than others you know the decision maker one says yeah i'd like to get in front of the decision maker and then there's a second there's a there's a uh, it's a venn diagram if they say no what do you do then they say you can't meet with the decision maker said so no problem um, maybe you and I could talk through it a little bit more. What else can I do to make your proposal to your boss easier to or more palatable? So I'm just saying there's answers to every objection. They're not always perfect, but there's um, there's something you can say uh, in every situation. So I, I there, there shouldn't be a well, we're done. And and I'm just give you sort of extreme. Some people say give me a couple of extreme ones. Just one is. Uh, you know, what are you going to do? The weather is bad. You know, so you have an event. You can't do anything. It's raining. I said, well, you, you could have. Someone could have bought early. If they buy earlier, they're more likely to come in that situation. Somebody could say, um, <coughs> and I don't want to be uh, some morbid here, but I think it's an extreme. Somebody says, well, um, uh, we used to go and somebody passed away or somebody moved out of town or something. I think obviously the answer is we're really sorry to hear that. Um, there may be, and that may be it, that may be the end of the discussion, but there oftentimes there's a situation where um, there may be someone else in the family or somebody else that lives there or somebody that didn't go or somebody else that wants to participate in the event. So I guess all I would say is there's an answer for everything. Um, I think the key is not to be intimidated by um, circumstances and what the objections are. For sure. Um, so as we said, you know, you're going to you're going to face tons of objections. Uh, you and your team are going to face more and more over time. Um, and just like most things with experience, you're going to get better at recognizing, OK, where is this a price, time, product objection? Yeah. Um, and you're going to have some answers uh, ready to go. We always you know, suggest, especially for, for teams where there's multiple people selling, have an internal kind of document, you know, yeah. a, a frequently asked questions type of document that's sharing. OK, these are the objections we're hearing about. Uh, about the sponsorship for the event and here's how I've handled it and here's how I found it effective to handle it and you know updating it periodically as as new objections emerge and better ways of answering things uh, uh, come up but a good way to uh, build upon you know the organizational learning and, and over time and and um, and share some best practices within within your team so um, great so, th so that brings us to the to the end of today's webinar um, so hopefully the the uh, takeaways from today were that objections can really be boiled down to one of those three uh, categories. It can be a price, time, or product, or some sort of overlap between uh, between multiple. But um, the, but the key really is trying to to understand what's the true objection. So mm -hmm. someone might offer that price objection. They might offer the time one, but uh, there might be some more underlying reason why they're really just trying to either be polite and then yeah. um, you know blow you off a little bit, but. Uh, you, know, you want to try to understand that true objection. So um, you want to do yourself a favor and, and it really can help with building building trust in and building that relationship that you have answers kind of ready ready to go and that you're experienced with uh, with handling those types of objections. Um, so you want to kind of have some of those answers ready to go uh, ready to go. Um, and you want to 
you want to come at it from a place, you know, not again, not using the words feel, felt, found exactly, uh, but coming at it from a place where you're showing that you're listening to them, you're showing the empathy, you're validating their concern that it's not, um, that it's a concern that many people face and it's not, they're not alone and you're offering a, a constructive uh, suggestion, uh, one that's coming from their best uh, interest and not purely your own. So, yep. um, so hopefully those are takeaways from today. Um, Michael, do we have any questions? A couple of questions. Um, so say you have a meeting scheduled with uh, the people and uh, the primary decision maker is not able to make it. Is it worth rescheduling the meeting or should you still stick to your original date? I think you should, it's a good, very good question. So we're asked. I think that you generally, I, it, it depends, it actually depends. I think the, if you can reschedule a meeting that the decision maker is going to be in for relatively soon, I would reschedule it if the key person is going to be there soon. If it looks like the decision maker is not going to be available for a long period of time and you can meet with somebody else, then I would do it. So I think timings, if you really feel like it's rescheduled, so shortly thereafter and the decision maker is going to be there, then yeah, I reschedule. I think that um, that's, you know, sometimes there's more than one decision maker. But I think if you really, as the person asked the question, if you know that uh, the, the, the important person had a scheduling change, I think you want to acknowledge that they're important. Great. Any other um, questions? Yeah, one more. Uh, so say the people you're presenting to do want a discount on the event or the proposal that you put forward. How would you steer them away from trying to dissect the rate card? So how do you kind of convince them to allow you to keep control of what comes out and what stays in. Okay. I think, I mean, again, good question. I think the, there's some give and take there. So again, if somebody used some simple numbers, if somebody says we'd like all, you know, like the package, that's a thousand dollars, but we'd like to spend, we only have 500. I think what you can ask them is what's really important to you. You know, so there's five things in there. What's really important to you. Oftentimes, you meet in the middle. They may say points number one and three. We say, okay, we can give you point. You know, we could do points number one and three for five hundred dollars. Uh, but if you want point four, uh, it's going to be seven hundred or eight hundred dollars. So I think a lot of it is that's the time where you're negotiating. But I think what you don't want to do, as we said earlier, is say, okay, fine. And again, to me, you may feel like you're helping somebody out. But what's happening is you're showing a true lack of integrity that your original price was not accurate. And eventually that's going to, you know, uh, companies and individuals are going to hold that against you. Great. Okay. Great. So our next episode will be two weeks today, uh, Wednesday at uh, 2 p.m., uh, where we're going to get through measuring sponsorship effectiveness. So uh, believe it or not, so through our first six episodes, if you're, if you're actually following along in a, in, a, in a sponsorship process, you've now handled all of their objections, um, you've signed a sponsor, and now, now you want to try to get into, we're going to talk about how to actually measure the effectiveness of that sponsorship. Um, and go back to that sponsorship landscape study chart about um, you know, the service deliverables that sponsors are looking for. And we know that a lot of them have to do with measurement and, and uh, return on investment and things like that. So we're going to get into how to actually measure some of those things and, and deliver that back to, to sponsors. So, um, so again, very special thanks to Central Counties Tourism and Sport Durham uh, for putting on today's webinar and for the webinar series. And we hope to see everybody at our next webinar in two weeks from today. Special thanks to Carrie for joining me on the podcast again this week. If you have any questions about anything discussed on the show, you can always reach us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or email at info at cosmosports.com. The Cosmos Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn for listening on the go. Our entire archive is also available on our website at cosmosports.com slash podcast. My name is Evan Colborn. Thank you very much for listening.